Behind me is the Dome of the Rock that is built on the site of the old Jewish temple. On one occasion, Jesus was talking to his disciples in the vicinity of the temple. And the disciples were showing him the magnificent stones in that great structure. Jesus said, do you see all these stones? I tell you the truth, the whole thing is going to be thrown down. And then Jesus gave a remarkable prophecy. It is a dual prophecy, a double prophecy, and recorded in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus spoke then about the overthrow of the Jewish temple that took place in 70 AD, and he spoke also about his return. Because the disciples said to him, Master, when will this take place? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And so Jesus in Matthew 24 talks about the overthrow of the Jewish temple, and he also talks about the end of the world and his coming again. Jesus gave certain signs that were fulfilled, and the end did come for the Jewish temple. In 70 AD, it was overthrown by the hordes of the Romans led by Titus. And Jesus in Matthew 24 also gave signs similar to the signs back there that will usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, there are going to be wars, there are going to be famines, there are going to be pestilences, there are going to be false prophets. And Jesus said, the abomination of desolation, that is the Antichrist, is going to come and stand in the holy place. Those who understand the prophecies of the Bible believe that the signs are being fulfilled today. And we believe that the next great event in the history of the world will be the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophecy about the temple was fulfilled. That is a fact of history. The prophecy about the coming of Jesus is soon going to be fulfilled. We are living in the last days and Jesus is coming soon. The topic today is victory at Odessa. Odessa, of course, is a great city on the Black Sea in the state of Ukraine. And a person who has a very special ministry for these people is my wife, Beverly. Would you please join me in welcoming Beverly today to our program as she brings us a report of her work. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Mother Teresa opened her first mission outside of India in Venezuela. And when she visited that country a couple of years later, she went to the home of the people who had donated the land. And while she was in the home, she noticed that the firstborn child was terribly disabled. She asked the mother, what is his name? To which the mother replied, his name is Professor of love because every day he teaches us about God's love and how to express it. The needs of this child helped the parents to learn and to demonstrate this great gift of love that comes from God. When we reach out to help those in need, we become kinder and gentler people. If we only live for ourselves, we miss out on some of the greatest blessings in life. One of the fun things we do before we actually visit an orphanage is to go shopping. Our translator calls ahead to the orphanage to the director and gets a list of all their needs. And then we go to the local market. 
we were told that the Odessa market was the largest in Ukraine. And it certainly seemed like it as we pushed our way through the crowds of people along narrow walkways between the hundreds of booths and stalls. We did this for three days. It was hot and it was dusty and no cafes in sight where we could sit down and have a nice long cold drink. But we persevered and on the third day we noticed something was happening at about 11 o'clock in the morning many of the booths were either closed or closing. Now these booths are big containers and each morning the owners open the doors and bring the goods out to the front. When our translator asked why are they closing down, she was told the tax man is here today and he has come to see whether all the owners are registered and have paid their dues. Well obviously many of the owners were not registered and so this made our work a little harder because we had to walk a few extra, well, quite a few miles, actually, before we were able to purchase all the things that we had on our list. But we persevered and finally we climbed back onto our bus, exhausted but happy with our accomplishment. At our first orphanage, we found 50 of the 100 children who lived there waiting for us outside underneath some beautiful shady trees. These children were aged from six to 12, and I have never seen more beautiful children in all my life. Many had no living parents. Some did have living parents, but because of the economy over there in Ukraine, which is very bad, many of them couldn't afford to take care of their children, while others were alcoholics, and they really didn't care. Now, some of the things we were able to give them and this is what they had requested. We brought, uh, bought fruit, which they weren't able to afford, toiletries such as shampoo, uh, toothbrushes, toothpaste, combs and uh, brushes for their hair, clothes, we bought socks, undergarments and T-shirts. Then there were games and toys, a heap of material for their school, like books and pencils, etc., and a dozen Bible story videos in Russian which I was very pleased about because until now they have been very hard to obtain. We sang to them and they sang to us. And I told them the story of Daniel and how he, had to, he too had been taken from his home to live somewhere else, but how his God had looked after him and protected him all his life. At the end, we took their photos with our Instamatic Polaroid and gave them a photo each. We've been doing this for several years now and it always produces lots of smiles and much chatter, and that's why we do it at the end. The second orphanage we visited had 65 babies aged from birth to one year, and 35 other children aged from two to four. On our arrival, we were met by a beautiful Christian doctor who led us out to see the older children first who were outside playing in the sun. Now, some of the gifts we gave them were diapers for the babies, sheets and pillowcases, towels, soap, detergent, plates and cups for the older ones, light bulbs, and toys. As we met with the 35 toddlers, the doctor told us that they, were, they all had neurological problems because each mother of those children had either been a drug addict or an alcoholic. 
Some of the two and three-year-olds couldn't stand on their own and they were placed in a crib and they were holding on to the bars. We gave them toys and we played with them for quite a while until the doctor said, it's time to go inside to see the babies. Now, once inside, we could see there wasn't a lot of furniture, but every room was clean and cheery. And then there were the babies. I picked up a beautiful little baby girl who was unable to hold up her head. And the doctor said to me a couple of times, please be careful, please be careful. And of course I was. And as I, as I held that frail little baby and looked into her beautiful face, I just wanted to hold her forever and to try and protect her from her unknown future. I know my American friends who were with me all felt the same way, as they too picked up babies, some with HIV and others with very serious health problems. We all wanted to stay, but we knew we had to leave. And as we got back onto the bus and drove back to the hotel, everyone was quiet, and I sensed that they were thinking about the experience that we had just had. As I took the bus's microphone to thank everyone for their wonderful help, I felt impressed to share something with them that God has taught me, and that is the urge to protect and love the most vulnerable amongst us, of course, is planted in our hearts by God. And the urge to love and protect also tells us a little more about the heart of God. Because of sin, we have all been born with a disability. And as a result, we have seen the greatest demonstration of love in action and that was when God sent his only begotten son to die for us on Calvary. Someone asked me, what can the Christian church do about all the misery in the world? One of the most important things I believe we can do is to stop talking and to do it. We have been blessed so much, haven't we? God has bestowed upon us so abundantly Many, many blessings. Love in action. That was what Jesus was all about. And as his followers, we can do no less. so glad to see you here today and I want to give a welcome to every one of you, especially our viewers on television such as Nick in West Australia who came with us to Ukraine because he watches 3ABN in Australia. I want to send a greeting to the people who write to us in Saudi Arabia and other countries around the world. The topic today is Victory at Odessa. Let me tell you the story of Olga Petrovna. You know, when you understand that when I was seven or eight years of age, I couldn't say a word of English, I learned a little after that. You'll be sympathetic when I try to say these Russian words. Olga Petrovna. She traveled from another country to attend the meetings. She came from Moldova, which is right next to Ukraine. 
While she was a girl, her father was killed, leaving the mother in dire straits, in real poverty. The mother had two daughters. Olga was one of the two daughters. And then her sister died. And the priest of the great church of that land declared that these folks were under the curse of God because they hadn't been baptized into that church. They were not members of that church. And so in their village, they were treated like nothing because they were not members of the state church. And so Olga's mother went to the priest. Now, these stories have come to me from Vladimir, who was my translator, and I said to him, I want you to go out and meet people and ask them their story. This story came from the first person he he met. The first person he met. So they went to the priest, and they went to the priest's home. They knocked on the door. It was mid-morning, and the priest came out in his pajamas, nothing on top, and cursed and swore at them. And they said, Father, you know our story. Everybody in the village knows the story. The mother said, my daughter has died. We want to be right with God. Will you baptize us and take us into the church? He ordered them to undress. And then he took water and he flung the water over them and cursed them and told them, get out. But at last you're members of the true church. Olga said, as she left as a girl, I will never go to church. I hate the church. This, of course, is why communism arose in those lands as a reaction against an evil state and an even more evil church. Years went by, and 14 years ago, she developed breast cancer. And after the doctor had thoroughly checked her out, he said, you have less than two years to live. Olga then said she started to pray, and she prayed, listen to this, she prayed to the God I do not know. The God I do not know. And she told us that she received a vision. And in the vision, she was told, you will not die, but you will live. That was 14 years ago. And so she saw it on television and she came all the way from the land of Moldova, traveling hundreds of miles and came to the palace of sport. She said these actual words, I have begun a new life. I feel better. I sleep better. I have discovered a new purpose in my life. I have found salvation. I was there when Olga walked out into the Black Sea and was baptized as a child of God. I want you please to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. In verses 14 and onwards, my dear friends. 
And if you think your life is hopeless today, I want you to know that the God who saved these people can save us also. But Romans chapter 1 and verse 14 and onwards. And I want every person please to turn to the text. Paul, the greatest of all the evangelists, after our Lord said, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. You notice the words here, he says, I am obligated. The words in the Greek say, I am in a state of indebtedness. I am a debtor, it says in the King James Version. Who is a debtor? Every person who has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. One of the greatest tragedies, perhaps the greatest tragedy to come to the Christian church has been institutionalism and a vast bureaucracy that has robbed the church of its desire to do evangelism. It is far easier to sit in an office behind a desk and stamp papers that aren't worth anything than it is to go into the world and evangelize. Paul said, I'm a debtor. Every person who is born as a child of God is a debtor. Jim and Joyce Neergaard, who are sitting here today, wonderful American Adventist Christians are going shortly to the Muslim world because they are debtors, because they believe in the supremacy of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. I am a debtor. I am obligated. One translation says, I am solemnly obligated, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, to the sophisticated and the unsophisticated, to the educated and the uneducated. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Look at me. Preaching has come upon hard times in the Christian church. Instead of preaching today, we have counseling. Instead of evangelists, we have psychologists. Of course, that is a great apostasy in the church. In the dark ages, the saying was, up with candles, down with preaching. Of course, that was the great apostasy of the Antichrist church. Up with candles, down with preaching. But when it talks about preaching here, it means just what it says. It means the telling of the good news about Christ. Because without Christ, listen to this carefully, we are lost. We are not saved because we are good enough. We're not saved because we are sincere believers in certain ideas we are saved by Christ there is no other name under heaven 
whereby we must be saved. The text goes on to say, I'm not ashamed. Why is he not ashamed? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to every person who believes. My beloved friend, watching this telecast, sitting here in this church, our beautiful church in Arcadia, you may say, I have a tremendous problem and I can see no way through my problem. I want to tell you today, we are not dealing with humanism or the teachings of men, which are simply vanities. We are dealing with the power of God in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the greatest power in the world. And all who are Christ's disciples will understand the necessity and the burden that is laid upon us. Where is Odessa? We were not planning to go to Odessa. We were going to go to a place by the name of Zaporizhia. It took me months to learn to say the word and then I discovered we weren't going there. (laughs) The mayor of the city had died and thus in these old Soviet countries nothing happens until they have new elections that are rigged anyhow. But just a few weeks before we started the meetings in Odessa, there was a new mayor and he said, please come, please come, we're waiting for you. But it was too late because they told us no decisions could be made. And so we went to Odessa on the Black Sea at the 11th hour. It is a vacation place. In summertime, there are hundreds of thousands of tourists from all of the ex-Soviet Union and also from other parts of Europe. They have 30 miles of beaches and the beaches are packed with tens of thousands of people. To go to Odessa in summertime It is something that we would not have done. But it must have been the plan of God. It is a city of magnificent buildings. In the days of the Tsars, it must have been one of the most beautiful cities in the world. They still claim today to have the second most wonderful opera house in the world. And when Beverly was given a tour, she gets into places where I can't go. But when she was given a tour of the opera house, she said it was utterly and completely magnificent. The streets are wonderful. Cobblestones like you find in Vienna and magnificent trees, tree-lined boulevards. It has a great harbor. From that harbor, you can go anywhere in the world because the Black Sea flows down past Turkey into the Mediterranean Sea and from thence to the world. Wonderful parks. Now our center here is at 100 West Duarte Road, Arcadia, California. We stayed in Odessa in Arcadia. Vast, wonderful parks adorned with magnificent old mansions, now turned into sanatoriums for the sick. These were the homes of the nobles in the days of the Tsars. What 
opulent, extravagant lives they must have lived. Beautiful. Odessa, in many ways, is a beautiful city. It is a city of great wealth. I've never seen so many expensive motor cars. Great wealth for a few. And great poverty for the vast majority. It is, as you can imagine, a city of crime. It is a mafia city. When we went to the Palace of Sport every day, parked outside the Palace of Sport was a brand new 7 Series BMW. Lots of magnificent motor cars. The mafia runs the city. One night when I was preaching on the cross of Christ, and how long does it take to be saved? I heard a lot of excitement. Bob can tell you about this. But the leaders of the mafia who had their office in this building came back from Spain, discovered these meetings going on and decided to stop the meetings and come on stage and take over the meetings. They didn't get where I was preaching but there's a ramp that runs up to the back of the stage and they were met there by a man who had been appointed to guard me who had been a member of the elite, uh, elite Soviet security forces. His name is Valery. Thank you. Valery. And Valery put his life on the line and single-handed wrestled with those thugs and drove them back. It is a mafia city and when those men were spoken to by some officials, they decided that they would back off. It is a city of sin. It is a city of beaches filled with naked bodies. It is a city of promiscuity. Plane loads fly in every day. A warning to my American friends. With American men come, coming there to pick up brides. The official statistics tell us that in the city of Odessa there are at least 30,000 people suffering from AIDS. But the man in charge of this research, and I have it over there in my notes, says that this is the tip of the iceberg. The real figure is at least five times more. That means that 15% of the population, one in six or one in seven, of the people walking around Odessa have got AIDS, which is the highest in the so-called industrialized world. almost like Africa in the numbers of people who have AIDS. Now some of the people there have got AIDS because of blood transfusions in the hospitals. But many have got AIDS because of promiscuity. It is a city of sin. It is a city of atheism and false religions. It is a city where the occult seems to rule. 
It is a city that has a hatred for Christ and the gospel, unlike any other city I've ever been to. As I told some of my friends when I got back, while I was over there, I went to visit a little boy who was dying of cancer. And we took along our team. We put on a tremendous party for this little boy. And as I was going, it was an hour's drive, I got an attack of stomach problems. And of course, if you go to those countries, that sort of goes with the course. And I knew I was not going to get there. And I said to my friend Alexander, Pastor Alexander Antonuk, how long will it take to get back to the hotel? He told me, I said, how far, how long to get to the place we're going? He told me, I said, we're not going to make it. He said, we'll take you to the business center. There are many fine stores, wonderful shops, atheistic, and a hatred for Christ. And the first place I went to, the deem, my translator, Alexander, my manager, ran in ahead of me and said, Pastor Carter, you know him? He's here. He's running these meetings. He's preaching the gospel. He's sick. Can he use the bathroom? Certainly not. Get out. Never had that anywhere in the world. Went next door to the second place. Certainly not. Get out. Went to the third place. Now desperate. (laughs) Pastor Carter is here. Can he... Certainly not. We do not share our bathroom with anybody. Get out. Atheism, a hatred of Jesus, the Messiah. It is a tough place. Toughest place I've ever held meetings. But the Bible says, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Unique challenges. It wasn't until I started preaching on the opening night that I discovered that Odessa clung to the circle of the bay. It was a long city, but narrow. And the palace of sport was right at the very extremity on one end. And for people to come to the meetings took Four hours on public transportation. Four hours to come and two hours to come and two hours to get home. And if we had two meetings in the day, if they had nowhere to stay, one in the morning and one in the evening, it would be eight hours traveling in hot, humid, dirty buses. And it was summertime. Over there they have this saying, one day feeds the year. That means they work hard all during the summer to make their money. Nobody apparently would be interested in meetings. I'm here to tell you today that God is greater than sin. God is greater than promiscuity. God is greater than every problem that the devil can throw at you and the devil can throw at me. The Apostle Paul said, preach the word. I read it last night. He said in Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. We are to preach the word of God when people are ready and when people are not ready. We are to preach the word of God in Odessa in summertime. 
And I wish to testify today that in spite of a thousand difficulties, we saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to God. Who were these people? Let me describe to you the opening session. The local church leaders said, we know they're here because they couldn't go to Zaporozhye, but will anybody come? We doubt if people are going to come. Nobody has ever held meetings in summertime. The auditorium seated 5,300 people. It's a lot of empty seats before you start. The first session, packed to the doors, people standing in the doorways, hundreds of people standing in the doorways, and hundreds of people turned away because they couldn't get in. And the second session, packed to the doors, and night after night, thousands of people coming hungry and thirsty to hear the word of God because they were not coming to hear a poor man. They were being drawn by the power of God. This gospel, my friend, can solve your problems. Who were these people? There was Vera. She was an atheist, a young college student. You think, here is a young, beautiful college student, and uh, my translator goes to her and says, tell me, who are you? I am Vera. I have been an atheist. Then she said these actual words, there is a power drawing me to this place every night. I cannot stay home. It is the power of the blood of Christ, I tell you, my friend. There was Mara, Zolotara Eva. Well, she may not recognize it. Mara is a Jew. Her father was a rabbi in Odessa. Her parents were murdered by the Nazi Holocaust when they came to Ukraine. She is a resident of Israel. She has lost both her sons from terrorist attacks in Israel. While we were there, her grandson was injured in a terrorist attack in Jerusalem. And she sat down the front night after night, week after week. Listen to her testimony, her actual words. I came to the meetings looking for real hope that is beyond death. I'm very grateful for the living word preached and for the hope I find. I'm bringing my fellow Jews to the meetings so they can find the true and the faithful Messiah. And I was there when she walked out into the waters and was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. When we look at the situation in Israel, is it any better? Seems to get worse day after day. When we look at the situation in Iraq, is it any better? It seems to get worse day after day. There is only one healing balm for the problem in the Middle East, and that is for the acceptance of Jesus the Messiah. There is no peace, my friend, without the Prince of Peace. And this Jewish leader found peace. Then there was another beautiful woman, Anna. You know, 
in Nizhny Novgorod, we had the privilege of baptizing the first secretary of the Communist Party, the man who was in charge of the production of MiG fighter jets and all of those things. What a tremendous victory. Do you and I comprehend the greatness of these victories? The power of the gospel? Well, in Odessa, the daughter of the person who'd been the first secretary of the Communist Party for 17 years came. She was brought up in a home that was militantly atheistic. She told us in my home there was a vast library of all the Russian classics, every book. I was forced to read every book and to confess there is no God. Did you ever see a Bible? The Bible was forbidden. The Bible was hated. She came to 28 meetings. An atheist, the daughter of the first secretary of the Communist Party. I was there to tell you that she accepted Jesus. And as soon as she heard the sermon on the Sabbath, she kept the first Sabbath. That was the, the next day. And she was baptized. And she said these words, I have found healing for my soul. I am now a true believer. I thank God for Jesus. Amen. Glory be to God. This man was born in 1930 in Siberia. His father was killed in the war. He was a little boy brought up in communist schools in faraway Siberia. But thank God he had a mother who prayed. She said, Alexander, I'm praying for you, my son, that you will give your life to Christ. He said, I did not want this Christ. We were the greatest power on the earth. We felt sorry for the Americans and the rest of the people because we were the greatest nation and we had the best living standards. What lies they were told. He said, when we looked at television, he said, I felt such a, a surge in my breast that I was a, a communist and a citizen of the world's greatest superpower. He came to the meetings and he said, my mother's prayers saved my soul. She said, the prayers she said for me 60 and 70 years have followed me down the long corridor of time. And I was there, and I can testify, I was there when he walked out into the water and was baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you some things that I have here today that will thrill you. This is the Russian Bible we used. It is a new translation of the Holy Scriptures. It's like the new King James Version. The old Russian Bible said in Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on Sunday. People said, well, why do you preach with that Bible? It's only one. But here is a revised version of the Russian Bible. And through the kindness of a wonderful, wonderful lady, we were able to purchase... 12,000 of these Russian Bibles. 
I love it. It is the word of God in Russian. And here I have something else that will interest you. Here is the opening hand bill. There it is. Printed in Ukraine. It's a wonderful handbill. Beautifully done. They'd never seen anything quite like this. And there is the palace of sport. We use biblical archaeology because it appeals to the secular person. And so far in these meetings, since we've been working in those lands, we have seen more than 3 million people come and more than 15,500 precious souls baptized in the Volga River, the Dnieper River, and now in the Black Sea. Glory be to God. My friend, if you're a part of this work, you're a part of one of the most wonderful movements in the world. Let me read you something here. These are notes that were given to me by one of our translators, Vladimir. Now, the translation is a little quaint, but that makes it more interesting. Here it is. Here's the name of the lady, and it's Yako something, and there. anyhow, there it is. She travels 50 miles to attend each meeting. Traveling in public transportation in Ukraine, that far is a real challenge, especially in hot summer without air conditioning. When she was eight years old, her mother became a widow. Her father, a communist, was killed as World War II began. I said, go, there are people lining up to get Bibles. Go and get their stories. These are their stories in their own words. Her mother was helping our partisans. The little girl was devastated when she witnessed all through the night as Russian policemen violated her mother. A terrible scar is still there on my heart, she says. Where was God? She became an atheist. Mother was also killed in 1944 in the war. She was raised in an orphanage. Still looking for answers, she found archaeology, a stairway to faith in God. She came to the meetings. She became a believer and accepted Jesus. Valentina, here's another one. Valentina's father was burned in his apartment. He was smoking. He set the place on fire. One year ago, Valentina was diagnosed with cancer. Her sister hung herself. Her sister full of despair, said, what's the use? And she hung herself. <sighs> Valentina decided there's no reason to live. She decided to go to the market to buy food for her husband, cook for a week for him, and commit suicide. Coming home from market, I'm just reading to you what he told us. She saw an angel. She went to a neighbor and the neighbor invited her for baptism. But she was refused by baptism by the pastor of the P church because she had cancer and was not good enough. And if she was not healed of cancer, it showed that she was lost. She was desperate. 
she got that invitation to the meetings. She could not miss a night. She says, these are her words, I found my real family. I feel welcomed here. I feel loved. After I was baptized, I found the reason to live. Glory be to God. These are people picked at random out of a vast crowd. Think of the stories. After the fall of the Soviet Union, this lady decided to look for God's church. Priests told her she needs to cross herself with her hand at least 160 times a day to be a good Orthodox. She attended all those services in the old church and was disappointed to watch drunken priests. Never attended meetings like this before, she said when she came to the Palace of Sport. This is the first time she learned Bible. The lecture on the mark of the beast was a real eye-opener, said Nina. Her son is a high military official in Kiev, eager to get John's book. Listen to this. This book I hold in my hands is the product of a miracle. Paul the prisoner, who was imprisoned for his faith for more than 10 years by the communists, has got our, our tapes, evangelistic series in Nizhny Novgorod, and he and a group of other ex-prisoners, these men are true pastors of the gospel. They have translated and edited all of my sermons and they said, we are ready to print. And so the first print is 10,000 of these. We have a goal to print 100,000 of these and to scatter these across the former Soviet Union. And so she says, this man is anxious to get John's book. They cost a dollar each to print, incidentally. Her son is a high military official in Kiev, eager to get the book. Her family comes from Greece. Her grandma is 102 years old. Since Nina was born, her grandma was telling her, you are a child of God. Nina was born during the war in 1942. She was so weak she could not walk until she was four. She always believed that she is a child of a loving God and this faith helped her to survive. But now she accepted her Savior as Lord of her life during the meetings. Glory be to God. Story after story after story. Listen to this. Most people come to the Lord when they're in real difficulties. Natalia came to the Lord when she is at the top of prosperity and excellent health. She decided there must be a God who is blessing and she began to look for ways to thank him. Being orthodox by origin, she decided to thank him with a 40-year fasting period. I think that's a slight mistake. I think it means 40 days. 40 years is a bit long, folks. While fasting, she met the P people who taught her the vanity of that kind of fasting and invited her to the P church. She was absorbing the Bible but had a far, hard time finding essence and meaning in the teachings of the P church. When she attended the Carter Report meetings in Odessa, she was so much impressed with the clear sound of Bible truth that she wrote all the sermons word by word each night. 
word by word. She read the sermons to both of her daughters, which could not attend the meetings because they were babysitting their little children. All the family was baptized, and they are sharing the joy with others. These are transcripts of what they told us. In Siberia, there is a city where it is forbidden for us to go because the state church says you are not allowed to come into this place. And Vadim has tried to run evangelistic campaigns there, but it is forbidden. So we have no believers in that part of Siberia. But a couple came to the meetings and we have such a wonderful picture of them. They came to this place for a vacation and they found Christ and they were baptized and they've gone back to Siberia to establish a church in the town where the Orthodox Church said, you can't come. <laughs> well, we could not come to them, but God brought them to us. Beverly saw them come up out of the water, husband and wife, and their faces were shining with a holy joy. This is the story they told us. All of these stories actually quote on many occasions the actual words of the people. Now, a brother who came with us who is the youth leader at the Community Adventist Fellowship Church is Daniel Burgos. I asked him to come to represent the young people in our church. And so he could come back and say to them, mine eyes have seen the glory. Daniel, would you please come? Glad to have you here, Daniel. <laughs> you're doing okay. Daniel, you're the youth leader in our church and we're so glad that you came with us to Odessa. When you went over there, I saw you with a lot of the Ukrainian young people. Can you tell us a little bit? Can you tell us just a little bit about the young people, our fellow believers in Odessa who helped at the meetings? Absolutely. Uh, but first of all, I'd like to thank you, Pastor Carter, for offering me the opportunity to go to Odessa and the Carter Report. Um, the youth are an amazing bunch. Um, they are spirit-filled, and I think they truly grasped, grasped the idea of taking the gospel to the world. They took ownership of the Great Commission by showing 100% effort at the meetings, going to the meetings, greeting people, helping out with the children's program. They also helped out on stage, and they were on fire for God. And I think that was something that really inspired me to come back and share that with the young people here. They are truly dinky die, fair dinkum, as you would say, uh -huh. and true blue Christians. Absolutely. Your education has improved in some things. My vocabulary uh, has improved. Tell me um, about a young person, not a believer, who became a believer. Yeah, uh, a person comes to mind, a young man by about the age of 17, mm -hmm. who I saw for the first time at one of the youth rallies. The youth would get together each evening after a meeting uh, to the local park. It was just right across from the sports arena. And one night I saw this young man who was 
leading out in worship, leading out in prayer, and just galvanizing the young people and uh, making sure that there were activities that evening. And I thought to myself, this guy must be a youth leader there. So I approached a young man there who was uh, showing me around, Edward, and I asked him, who is this young man here? Is he one of the youth leaders here? And Edward responded. He said, no, this young kid was baptized just last week. And what had he been? What had he been? Well, interestingly enough, and I think Edward was probably affected from him in the past, but he told me that he was a gang member and a bully, no doubt probably bullied by him uh, in the past. And I almost fell flat on my back when I heard that. And I thought, boy, this kid must have been in the church for at least years, you know, just showing his dedication. And it truly just showed me how God, how the Spirit can move upon the hearts of people and just change them radically, 180 degrees. And he was a great testimony to that. You saw thousands of people coming forward. We believe in calling people to make decisions. You saw thousands of people respond. How did this make you feel, Daniel? Well, it was like nothing I'd ever seen here before. And I think the difference is that here, perhaps when you ask people to make a decision, there might be a few hands that go up and perhaps some have pride or some are kind of afraid. But there, these people had nothing to lose. They knew what was being given to them, and before you even asked them to respond to a decision, I just saw hundreds and hundreds of people just rush to the front as if ready to accept the greatest gift in the world, which in fact is what it was. And uh, it just left such a great impression on me. And I just, I just imagined uh, when Christ went around healing people, these, these people just ran to Christ, and that's what they were doing. They were rushing to touch Christ and to be healed by him. And that's what I saw when they all ran forward and made the decision for Christ. Daniel, tell us um, the looks on the faces of the people as they were baptized. Well, uh, just pure elation, like something was lifted from their shoulders they were just so full of joy, and I just looked upon them, and uh, I just f felt so much joy, I, I guess vicariously, through them as they came out of the waters. And I just thought to myself, what a wonderful day this is. I, I truly believe that I got a taste of Pentecost that God day during the baptism. Thank you Glory for coming. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. As we say, Slava Bogu. Slava Bogu. And remember this. Look at me and listen. If God can help people like this, who've got problems, humanly speaking, a hundred times worse than any of us here, dreadful backgrounds, priestly abuse, the abuse by evil communists, Terrible lifestyles, hunger, living on $2 a day or less. If God can reach out and touch a person in the crowd and change his life and take away his fear and his hatred and his depression and give him hope and joy, 
I ask you the question, if he can do that for those people, can he not do it for you? Can he not do it for me? Because Jesus has not changed. The gospel is still indeed the power of God unto salvation. Thank you.